Hi, and welcome to the Campaign Builder Series on the It's a Mimic podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Adam. And we're working with you to build a campaign to get your characters from level 1 to level 20. We know that every table is different, and so is every dungeon master. So please take what you want from each of these episodes and use, adapt, and throw away whatever you need to in order to make things work for your campaign. We have no idea what our party will be, so we'll be designing encounters for an assumed party of the following five archetypes. Warrior, Priest, Mage, Criminal, and Outdoorsman. The characters will be leveling up as we go, but for now we're at level 2, and we're about to see what a secluded merchant town looks like when it riots. Let's get to building. So here we are. We're in Sandspit, and where we left off last session, the gods have disappeared, half the stars have fallen out of the sky, and uh, chaos has started to run inside the city. Um, this has uh, opened up a path for actual people, actual individuals, to start rioting. Looting um, is happening around, which is going to affect our Merchants Guild quite a lot. But why Why are we going to add this kind of massive conflict so early? I mean, at this point, we're level what? We're level two? Yeah, and I mean, we're just now level two, right? So a major earth-shaking event like this is really, really, really important to hit early on because we're changing the status quo. Dan, I'm going to ask you, how many campaigns just start at level three? Oh, so many. I've, I'm, I'm a part of like three or four of them right now. There are like, we don't want to do the level one and two stuff. Let's just start at three because we get those abilities. I mean, or, I, fi- I feel or five or eight or 12, right? Like they're, they're, yeah. All, yeah. they're all about this. Why do we start at level one? And the reason we do is so that we can see what the status quo looks like, right? That's yeah. why our first episode was the status quo, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and when you have this massive, uh, when you're establishing this uh, status quo, you also have to uh, establish with your table that the things that their players do will have an effect on the world at large, um, up to and including the effect of massive rioting inside of their hometown, right? And and you need to get this clear to your players right away that there is a uh, conflict and they're going to have to be the ones that solve it. The thing about uh, these big conflicts that are hitting so early is we want to see, we want them to understand what the stakes are. Right. And that they are going to be the movers and shakers in their region uh, or possibly in the entire world to be able to yeah. hold. Assuming uh, they live that long. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, that's a big if. We've been hitting these guys pretty hard with multiple dynamic encounters every session, right? So we live in a relatively deadly world, and I think that we've established that. We've established the idea of a lot of surprise as they traveled through and uh, through the desert back and forth with the escort mission, right? So what we have now is them not being on the back foot and being limited. What we have now is them being completely out of control. And over the next few sessions, they're going to wrestle control. That's what level two is all about, right? Shit is hitting the fan. Everything is wildly out of control. We don't know what's happening. We have to A, find out what is happening. B, try to figure out what we can do about it. And C, do it. And because we've had our uh, main plot point of the gods are now gone has actually come to fruition. Um, we, we're, we're really starting the campaign. We've set up the status quo. Now the campaign is really starting here with, with this conflict in um, a situation that the party is not going to be too familiar with conflict at this point. 
because um, they're in an urban setting. They're not out in the desert anymore. They're not. They're not in the wilderness. They are. They are in the forest of buildings, as it were. Yeah, the concrete jungle, the urban setting. This is where they live. They're not expecting shit to hit the fan here. They're expecting to go out into the wilderness. They're expecting to go find adventure. They're not expecting it to come find them, right? And if they are, it's basic little nothing things, guild skirmishes and whatnot. And while the guilds are still a major part of the storyline, this is really going to ramp it up to be the the key focus right now. That's what we're going to talk about as well, is when you've got uh, an urban upset, what are your factions, right? And that's one of the big things that makes urban settings so different from wilderness settings. Not only is it what are the factions, but also the idea that everyone is watching. You have an audience. And 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 your reputation hinges on your actions, um, with which which adds a huge depth to it. Yeah, you can't just leave a corpse, you know, buried in a shallow grave out in the woods anymore, right? There's evidence left behind. There are authority figures, and there are citizens, there are witnesses, and there and everybody has an opinion. And on, on on top of that as well, you have collateral damage now that you have to worry about. What are your effects going to have on the city at large for a long period of time? Are there going to be fires? Are there going to be um, deaths that are unexpected and um, are kind of chain reaction? You have to really worry as a party about a butterfly effect of your actions when you have an urban setting, especially an urban setting you call home. Yeah, that's the big thing here is that every action that you have will have a ripple effect. Anything that you do is going to potentially affect everything else around you, even if it's a bar fight. Are the cops going to show up? This isn't just fighting bandits out in the woods. It the the urban setting is geared for the dynamic encounter. Right? The idea that you're in the middle of one thing and something else changes just because there's so many other people around. And if you're a DM and you're intimidated by that, don't worry about it. What the only thing you need to do is listen to what your players are doing and say, what is the next logical outcome from this? What is the reaction to this action? You don't have to have it planned ahead of time. You can sit there because honestly, as a DM, you have so much time to sit down and do nothing unless you're in combat. Yeah, especially in an urban environment, because you guys are going to be spending a lot of time interacting with NPCs that they love, interacting with uh, stores and shops and meeting new people. These are all going to be things that your party is getting going to be used to doing in their city, in their little merchant town in Sandspit. This also gives you as a DM an opportunity that this is kind of their comfort space. And now you're adding upheaval to it. And you can do that to add a surprise. You can... uh, do that to add antagonists to great effect because you're not only targeting your players, um, you're targeting their hearts. You're targeting their loves and their the things that they've slowly become invested in. Yes, and I think that if you were to run an urban campaign um, and have this, this urban unrest, this riot, whatever you want to call it, civil unrest that is happening, uh, if you want to add that at later levels, level 8, level 12, then I would really... I would really do things like threaten the NPCs, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, right? But in early levels like this, they may be fond 
of of their um of their NPCs that they have the the potion uh merchant that they escorted or um of course Tremblay who's their their guild contact right like they could they may be fond of these people but they're not in love with them not the way that parties like to adopt you know orphans and goblins and and small woodland critters so right? so so what you're saying is they haven't had a chance to love them yet so don't target them yet wait until they love them before you target them <laughs> no 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 go ahead and target them but don't expect the party to bend over backwards to do absolutely anything there's yeah. going to be that barbarian or rogue character that just shrugs and says i don't know fuck it let's go over here right and if yeah. they do yeah that that's fair that, enough that's that's fine but you need to be prepared for that. You can't just dangle that person they met last session over a pot of, you know, boiling lava. And and I don't know why you would be boiling lava in a pot. But apparently you are in this scenario. But you, you can't just... <laughs> what kind of towns are you from? <laughs> There's cults everywhere in D&D, Dan. Deal with it. So this one is apparently a lava cult. So um, apparently. You, you can't just dangle these NPCs... Um, over these these precarious situations and expect there to be um, a lot of emotional investment at this point. Not yet. Um, so you have to you have to threaten more of at early levels, threaten the the player characters' livelihoods and not necessarily mm-hmm. the NPCs around them. Well, that's one of the reasons why we're we're putting this as early as it is, right? Because they have just had a a, a They've just had the time to be able to establish their their livelihoods and get a taste of what their livelihoods are like. So you really got to make sure that they're not going to get com- too comfortable with it right now. The other thing to keep in mind as well is that we just last episode, our last session, we gave them a whole bunch of rewards, right? So as much as they just got this brand new um, contact that they really like, we can't threaten that contact now because we just, we just gave them that. We can't just take it away again. Right. So if they got a new contact, that's going to help them with the, I don't know, thieves guild. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing in your campaign. Um, but, but if they've got this new contact that's uh, works for the mayor's office, whatever it is, you can't then just execute them or have their body show up face down in a gutter right like that's that's then it wasn't a reward it was a tease and that's not fair they'll grow to distrust you if you start doing that too early i mean by all means do that at later levels but now it it, this isn't this is a time to give them a reward and stick with that reward this is a time to gift them things and keep them so like your urban conflict this massive thing their npcs for the most part should be uh threatened but safe. Yeah, they're going to be threatened to lose what they have. Here's what I would do. Okay, let's take the the mayor's office, the the clerk that you yeah, that yeah, you yeah. met there, whatnot, and you got an in with them. You can get a favor with the mayor now, so on and so forth. You are out there dealing in a, dealing with the riot, and you see city hall burning. The clerk is still safe, but now if you go over there and you stand outside of this burning building with the clerk and watch it burn, and then defend the clerk from rioters, they're even more on your side. Flip this to be a positive, even though it feels like a big negative. As the world is burning down around them, every victory will feel so much sweeter. Yeah, I mean, you you really need to establish the fact that this is going to be a threat. Your party should be coming out of Tier 1 as kind of the heroes of Level their one. own little town. Well, oh, no, okay, Tier 1, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, tier one. Um, as the heroes of the little town. So if you are going to be adding large conflicts like this, where even you might even end up putting your party in a bit of a crosshair, right? Uh, with with the with the town's leadership, with with those who make and break the 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 rules of the town. If you do that, you should kind of have a way for your party to come out on top as the heroes, as the people who are um, not necessarily revered, but respected within the town. Because that's what tier one's about, right? You, you, you're you wanting to come away from tier one, at least in a typical high fantasy good campaign, with your party being the ones who um, they're seen as the protectors of their town. Not necessarily the region, but specifically of the town. So if you're going to have a massive conflict like this, now you're dealing with a um, your protectors of the town having to handle the town at large when the town is losing their mind. Yeah, one of the things that here, Dan, this might blow your mind a little bit, but as you and I sat down and started to prep this campaign, and we know what level two and three look like at this point, because, yep. I mean, we prep for podcasts, roughly, right? Roughly. Like, oh yeah, we don't have the beats down, but we know we know the general storyline that we're headed, what direction we're going to go, because we know what our end goal is, we have to move in that direction, right? So, yep. but one and of the things... We would recommend other DMs have a rough idea. I mean, we mentioned this before in the status quo episodes, have a rough idea of where you're going. It will really help and influence what you are doing in the minutiae of the moment. Yeah. Especially when it comes to foreshadowing and whatnot. Um, and I, as you can see from the last episode, the last uh, session to this one, um, the, uh, the cliffhanger was really important to be able to drop because we knew what was going to happen next. Right. So, but the thing that I wanted to add was, I don't know if you've uh, if you've realized this, but you and I naturally do this, and I realized this after the fact. I was driving home and I was thinking about it, and you and I um, build the three act structure into each one of our levels. Level one was uh, the status quo, right? And then we go out and we run into all the conflicts of dealing with the escort mission, and uh, that was uh, session two and session three, and then session four is the resolution, the reward. We're doing the same thing here. We are creating a new introduction to a, to a conflict, yeah. to a, to a conflict, which is going to continue to spiral out of control for a few sessions before it ends up getting resolved. This is a great way to think about splitting up, no matter what your pacing is in your game, whether it's levels or it is um, uh, milestones or experience-based, you should sit down and really look at when it comes to building a story having these mini little three-act plays and focusing on the introduction, the conflict, and the resolution. But of course, it's Dungeons and Dragons, and we're all about the conflict. The resolution should be over very, very quickly. It shouldn't get nearly as much spotlight as the rest. The introduction should have a decent amount of time, and the conflict should be the main guts of it, so that you feel like you've accomplished something, right? No, I I, I agree. I mean, this is this is... Funny enough, this is like a literary device. This is this is our AP English from high school completing in here, right? Like, well, um, it is because we're writing a story, right? And that we, that's what we we're really doing. are, right? Um, and I mean, the 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 beauty about Dungeons and Dragons is we as the DMs are not the sole ones contributing to the story. It is not our story. We are kind of setting up pieces and seeing how the players knock them down so that we have further conflict to build into the next session. And we are just as excited and uh, as the player, we are just as excited as the players 
um, to see kind of where this story goes. Uh, we mentioned earlier, like have an idea of where your like meta plot is going. Um, have an idea, but it's, it's, it's kind of at this level, at this point, it's got to be a more loose thing because your players could take a hard left, right? And you've kind of got to be prepared to, uh, have that going at least mentally like not not like having stuff prepared for them to take that hard left because you're never going to be able to do that you're not a mind reader at least i'm not adam sometimes has planned so well in his campaigns that he is but or at least appears so i just but, know, i just uh, know my players that's all it is you just know your players right and and after some time you're going to if if you're starting to dm a new group um you're going to learn the things that kind of make your players tick um and you'll want to You'll want to pull on that knowledge for your encounter building as well, because we know if we're building an encounter for Terry from the regular podcast, it's going to have to be a heart wrenching encounter like he needs to hurt to have this be a a, a session that he holds dear to his heart and remembers. Uh, Me, I've got to have some sort of puzzle I solve. Megan needs to have some sort of fight or some sort of moment where she comes out as the hero, right? Like these these are things we know about our players. Um, So you'll learn these things as a DM eventually. Um, And then you'll be able to start using these little tidbits of knowledge you have about your players and put them into things like an urban unrest. And how does Terry, who needs to be hurt during an encounter, hurt during a massive civil unrest session, right? And then you can start putting these in. Yeah, you're you're right. But when we're doing it this early, we also don't know who these players and, you know, players will be different depending on which character they're playing too, right? So even if you've played with someone that I think that's the problem with your Friday group, Dan, is you've played with those guys for so many years, but they all play different characters in slightly different ways. And it's difficult yeah. to predict because, you know, you can't go by the broad strokes, right? Sometimes they surprise me because I sit there and I'm like, your character's a dick. I hate your character. And because your character's a dick, that means you're a dick. And that means I'm now adversarial to that player. But then I realized, no, he's playing a character who's like a vengeance paladin. And it's not that he's a dick. He's just playing his character very, very well. And the guy's like the character is a dick. So... Um, and then they'll flip it on this on its lid and then they'll play this reserve drawn back like knowledge cleric. And I'm like, I'm not used to you playing that. Even after I've been playing with these guys for 20 something years, right? Like they'll still surprise me. So, I mean, the, the method isn't perfect. Right. So when the, in these early stages, see what we've done is we've given them so far a standard adventure. That was level one. Go escort someone. It's not totally standard. Go kill the goblins. Right, but it's it's still very recognizable. It's a uh, it's a trope. Like you you know what you're getting into with it. What we're gonna do over the next three um, three episodes here, the next three sessions that we're prepping for, is we're giving them very unique things to do. This one is uh, is very very um, focused on the idea of uh, role play and combat. We'll be dealing with a lot of exploration. Um, over the next couple as well and uh, and a lot more role play as well because we're learning we want to see who these players are whereas level one was introducing them to the campaign level two is introducing the dm to the characters and that's really important 
And I don't think that enough DMs give themselves the opportunity to learn that before they just drop you onto the airship and now you're fighting sky pirates and that over there is a big fucking fire elemental that's burning up the Look at all the and, shiny things. Yeah, right. And so really give yourself the opportunity while building up this story slowly because it's early days. Everyone's still getting a feel for it. You want to have fun. It can't all be high stakes all the time. Otherwise, it just becomes white noise, right? So give yourself these opportunities, especially in an urban setting, to see how they react to different NPCs and different conflicts, especially when other people are watching. So you would say that player that level one is players getting to know their characters. Level two is players... No, no, getting to know their DM. No, 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 no. You got it backwards. Um, level one is uh, is players getting to learn the world. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. they're figuring mm-hmm. out what the DM has set up. Level two is the DM learning the characters. So they're figuring out what the players have set up. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's that's awesome. All right, Adam, so we've got this massive conflict. We now know why we're doing it. We need to now talk about the how um, to add this depth, this sense of chaos and urgency to an urban riot, this urban conflict uh, breaking out throughout the town because of, uh, you know, unexpected global ramifications of the gods going like like this very important pillar of these people's lives being removed from them. So people are losing their minds. How do we add that urgency to our players? I do it the same way that I add chaos to just about anything, right? There are three things that I do when I want to add a sense of impending doom. I make you roll more checks. So it's not as easy for you to be able to see, oh, what's going on over at the um, haberdashery down the street, right? You go to take a look at the haberdashery on a regular day. You don't have to roll for that. Now you have to roll. Are we just going to try to say the word haberdashery in every episode? I hope so because I really like the word okay. haberdashery. It's it 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 it's a great word for a hat store. Yeah, um, but the the idea is during a riot when there's smoke and there's people screaming and they're running and you want to see what's going on, even though this is across the street. There's enough of the chaos. Roll a check, and it's going to have people stop and go, "Oh, okay." And if they don't roll high enough, it's because something else happened. There's a distracting thing. I almost have a random table of distractions prepped and ready to go. Yeah. I know in my head what should happen at the street level within the first hour and what's happening at the street level within the second hour. And at what point do, do people start forming mobs, right? And so, uh, and that leads right into saves. It's checks at first and then, then that becomes saves. And so yeah. this... Um, this turns into the Molotov cocktail flying out of the darkness, right? And you've got to yeah. you got to duck it. There's no, there's or, no or stuff falling from the roofs or something like that. Yeah, you have ducked into a uh, into a a doorway to have a quick conversation to figure out what your plan is to hide from the guy that's just shooting magic missiles left, right, and center uh, in the <laughs> in the intersection, right? And so you guys are are sitting there huddling, and all of a sudden the shop window beside you smashes open and a werewolf jumps out. What are you doing with that? Right? Like where the shit did this come from? Um, the think about what happens, what saves are you going to have to make when the potions, um, when the potion shop, the potion store is on fire and you breathe that shit in, there's all sorts of chaos going on around you. And so there's all sorts of constant saves as you're 
is you're doing this. This isn't a skill check. This is just every time you try to accomplish something, there's an added level of complication. Checks at first because the consequence is you do not accomplish what you wanted to. And saves because the, the consequence is you're going to take damage, right? Or you're going to straight up lose what you're looking for, right? Yeah. Well, you got to remember in this situation, alleys are narrow and streets are crowded. And that is only uh, flared up. That is only inflamed uh, when there's civil unrest, right? So your party has to deal with a lot of environmental hazards that are going to pop up when everything's going nuts, right? And, And you have to remember that there is a certain effect that is caused, when everyone is losing their mind and and has no sense of uh, other in in a civil unrest moment like this. Yeah. I mean, another one that comes to mind is that if they want to run over to the stables to get their horses, because of course they are, they would, right? Like, you need to get around the city quickly right now. They go get their mounts, but there's a freaking griffin that's set loose and the stables are on fire and there's a mini stampede inside, but no one can get out, right? And what are all those creatures doing? What are your animal handling checks? What are your dexterity saves, right? There's a lot of things. What if that person that was really cool that you saw riding in on a freaking manticore and everyone's like, oh, that's really neat and that's cool. And I want to talk to that guy last session. This session, that manticore is coming after anything within 20 feet of it, right? Because everyone is panicked now. So with all of this going on around you, you're, it's all about pacing and keeping it up. And the other thing that your players are going to do to gain control and they're not going to they're not going to consciously do this but they're going to try to duck out of the in-game scenario and discuss between the two of them just or the group of them rather they're going to discuss what they should do and and this this is when you in the past at least in our table have dropped down like a literal hourglass like a literal like egg timer yep it was a 90 second one right and so if, if I was generous, I would flip it twice. Um, I would suggest going out and getting little egg timers or hourglasses or whatever you can to say, okay, look, you guys can sit here and talk about it, but I need a decision in click 90 seconds or two minutes or 30 seconds, whatever it is. Or use the timer on your phone or something like that, right? But, but it needs to be some sort of physical thing the party can look at. I I like having I like having a physical prop for it though. Yep, no, I I I get that. Like setting the egg timer on the table and be like, if this dings and you haven't come up with a decision, something's going to happen, right? Yeah, sorry. And now what you have is a table full of people desperately trying to get heard, the same way that you would have that little doorway full of characters desperately trying to be heard because the pressure's up. The delightful side effect of having kind of this sense of urgency put onto your party is. Now your party's also working on their kind of pecking order and leadership build, right? Like what, what, who is the person who speaks for the party? Who's the emotional center? Who's the law center? Who, who is the, 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 um, who is the kind of underhanded, uh, character of the party? Who, who, where do people sit in the party, um, in terms of decision-making, Right. Because mm-hmm. now you have to have somebody step up and be like, no, guys, we need to do this. Right. And if, if when you're adding time and you're adding this kind of uh, stressful situation where they're having to make checks and saves and everything is going on and everything's kind of going crazy around them, the world is tumultuous, uh, tumultuous and uh, chaotic. 
you're going to have that one paladin or that one wizard or that one fighter or whatever they are. Hell, they could be a warlock. I don't care. But whoever that personality is at the table who's going to come up and be like, no, guys, this is the decision. And you're setting that up for future levels as well. So now we know why we're having a moment of civil unrest and we know how we're going to go about doing it. So Adam and I have come prepared with some fun, interesting, dynamic encounters to throw at our party during this moment of civil unrest. Adam, let's grab our dice. Let's roll initiative and get this going. Sure. Hold on. Hold on. What, one thing before we get going, though, I want to establish again, um, because we've said it a few times in previous episodes, but I want to say again, these are not every encounter that the party will run into. These are some yeah. dynamic encounters that will be set piece encounters in and among the check over here, the save over there, they'll quick make a decision, go talk to this NPC, uh, a small combat breaks out in the back alley as you're trying to get from point A to point B, right? But all of these are standard encounters. What we're talking yep. about now are we've each prepped three um, dynamic encounters, which are one encounter that bleeds into another. And, and, and it's and it's very important to have both of those, right? Like these... and And... You guys could have different options here, right? Like, listen to the other episode we had on how to build a dynamic encounter. Um, it's important to have dynamic encounters, but it's also important to have these more standard level encounters just to kind of help with pacing and whatnot in your group. Yeah, that way when one of these things pops up, it feels fresh and different and interesting. And if you just chain dynamic encounters one after another, your players will get fatigued. All right, I have my die. Let's do this. I have a two. (laughs) I got a four. Yay. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) All right. So my first one's really, really simple. I want to start with a combat encounter and I want it to turn into another combat encounter. Um, And I want to deal with the riot itself. Once you've established that shit is going a little bit crazy and that the cops are going to be over here and the town guard is over there and maybe there's a volunteer fire brigade that ran past and and the city hall is on fire, like whatever it is, right? There's shit going on all the way around. There's rioting. There are looters. And Tremblay is going to come to the players and they're going to say, hey, he's, he's going to say, I need you to defend this shop from looters. And as you guys step forward, you see that you don't have looters. The players see instead they have Lachlan's lot who are being opportunistic and they're stepping forward to create havoc and teach Tremblay and other merchants a lesson. This is going to be a combat. We've got some basic thug levels uh, of, of bad guys, maybe one familiar face, not the big guy, but but someone. Yeah, someone, some of the parties taken issue with in the past, um, at, like maybe had a minor role play encounter with like a bouncer or a street level thug that got away once. Like this isn't a big threat. It's it is a but it, it is a recognizable threat. Yep. And this is the first time that we're going to get to see Lachlan's lot take their gloves off where it was clubs and saps and um, staves before to be able to knock you upside the head. Now they're pulling blades. This is real steel that's coming out. They're going to start casting spells because they can get away with it. And exactly. And as this becomes a deadly fight and there is now, there are now bodies in the street. I would impress upon the players exactly what kind of crazy consequence should come of this. And that is going to be interrupted when the actual real looters and rioters get close. And that's when you have to go from this one-on-one fight to this 
to this fight with um, the impending mob that's coming in. What do you do to hold them back? I'm probably going to be looking to spellcasters um, or at least a, a certain amount of a paladin plunking a shield down in front of the, the window and saying, no one will come in here, right? And they will be doing everything in their power to defend the store. And so that's what this is. This is a real defense fight. But it goes from one combat, and it's going to get interrupted, and Lachlan's Lot is going to retreat. And then it's going to become this other separate combat as well. Yeah, that, that that that's really cool. It would be important for me to make sure Lachlan's Lot gets away for the most part. Like, you guys might take down one or two of the, the these Lachlan's, Lachlan's Lot uh, thug-level operatives, but, like, I, I I would definitely make sure that someone gets away um, and and makes their way out the second the main body of looters comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I have I have a more role playing encounter where uh, you are. What is it? With turn all into? the riots in it, uh, mine goes from a role playing encounter to a combat encounter. Okay. Um, uh, so. Um, if if the party plays it the way I expect it, this could very well end up being a role play to a role play. I don't I don't I I'm kind of leaving this one a bit open ended. But as a role play to a combat encounter, your party is going to identify some of the uh, leadership, the the maybe the insiders, maybe some vocal, charismatic people, kind of pushing the riots on, pushing some looters on, and they're going to have a role play encounter with these with these characters who are. Um, angry, confused, upset, and your party has to try to talk them down. Um, but they're already starting at such a negative point of having a major pillar, their faith shaken from them. So uh, the tables are kind of tilted against your party in being able to talk them out of either this this group of rioters out of uh, looting and everything else. So uh, this will turn into this group of rioters taking exception with the party, trying to stop their looting, stop their attaining goods and whatnot that they want to do. And it's going to be a combat encounter with a group of looters in an alley or a street or even inside of a broken down uh, shop. Not necessarily Tremblay's, but definitely like a blacksmith or general goods store where now your party has to deal with uh, looters who are more than willing to wreck their surroundings to get away with the loot that they want, so that that that'll be the encounter I have. Um, it also gives you a bit of an uh, an opportunity to introduce some more, let's say, passionate NPCs to the group. Yeah, I like this. I, I would really spin this myself to be in the direction of the because um, I want to hammer home the divine. The gods have gone missing. This is why this yeah. is happening. So I would spin this in the direction of the the people. The looters are. Um, as we see in in times of real strife and hardship and pressure, we see people loot not televisions and microwaves because they can res- there's a resale value, but like everyone's walking away with toilet paper. Well, <laughs> right, like it, this is not that level of commodity that they're going for. They're looting the general store or they're going after the weaponsmith because they think the world is ending. Right. And so you are not going to be able to talk everyone out of it. And I would say that I really like this. There should be a group of, of maybe it is one of the, of the churches, one of the faiths that has come through and you've got to deal with them and you can talk down some of the congregation, but not the crazy preacher. 
who's foaming at the mouth, right? And so he's going to still get a percentage of what you're doing in this role play is finding out what percentage of people he is able to keep all riled up and scared, right? And keeping in mind as well that the party doesn't have answers. No, no, right? Like they have no idea what's going on. So I think that that's a, that's a really interesting one to do, especially the starting off with you trying to step up and be almost an authority figure for the first time. I really like that. That's going to bleed into what level two is all about for us. Next up, uh, we're still in the riot. Um, and I want to say that a, uh, you remember back in the, at the very beginning, we had a, uh, like a warehouse that got broken into by Lachlan's lot. And that was our introduction to Lachlan's lot. Uh, you hear the breaking glass back there again, didn't occur to anybody to go back to that vulnerable spot. Right. And you see a looter, just a rando get off with, um, some sort of bag of holding. You watch him filling this bag full of items and when you're when the party gets close enough he turns and books it and now you have a chase and you're chasing a looter through back alleys this is going to be a skill challenge because now you get to actually not only chase someone down some back alleys which is kind of standard fare for skill challenge you're chasing someone through a riot so he's going to head into mobs of people and he's going to not just head down a back alley, he's going to cross a street where there are people throwing shit back and forth, throwing rocks through windows and uh, and blaming the adventurers that just came back. Maybe Lachlan's lot. There are a couple of people up there casting thaumaturgy and they're standing on, on these soapboxes and saying, this is because of the merchants, right? And like on and on, <laughs> like you think about all the crazy shit that could be going on here. Yeah. And now there's this chase that you have to do and this, and that'll be the skill challenge that, that everyone is faced with. I think that that's a lot of fun. It's very different than what we've done so far. We're not defending, we're not arguing, we're running. And so this is giving a certain amount of, um, of, well, dynamic to the session as well, beyond just, um, encounter by encounter, right? This one can lead directly into the next thing as well. Because when you catch up with that looter, what do you do? Or does the looter get away and now where are you? Are you far away from from, uh, Tremblay's? And what if your guys get about a block away and say, wait a minute, we have to go back? I I really like it. So, I mean, this may turn out to be nothing. That guy steals stuff and runs. And your players go, oh, well, the shop is still here. We'll defend the shop. And that's perfectly fine. But... If they decide to chase, it could be this really cool set piece. How cool. you get really, them? To, I, I, sorry, how you get them to follow you is going to be dependent upon what they manage to steal. Yeah, I, I would definitely give them an item that the party could find generally useful, and thus they'll probably want to chase it down just to attain the item and use for their own purposes. So, like a bag of holding at level two is a perfect thing for this, um, or 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 a wand of cure wounds, or or something that is just got an an, an immense practical utility to it so for me what i've got is a uh exploration exploration encounter and i'm giving the party the opportunity to really shape what the town looks like and how the town responds in the future i mean in previous sessions we have really established the streets we've established the feel of the town we've established the 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 size of the town and now i want to give the party the ability to maybe modify that if they want and also, I want to introduce them to the idea of uh, a swarm or a horde of people 
that are definitely not going to be a thing you could fight or or uh, put down with blade and and spell, but something you've got to redirect. So what I have now is an exploration to exploration encounter. Sorry, Dan. Would, Tremblay, would, would these be the people that are heading to the temple or the city hall or the where 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 are they heading? I would say that they're heading towards the city hall for some sort of clarity, for some sort of. Um, direction from the town's political leadership. Sure. As we see in times of struggle, um, people are going to run towards their political leadership, be it competent or incompetent, for answers. And uh, that was that was a subtle dig. Well done, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to see a, a a group of angry people that you cannot possibly fight down, and you just have to direct. Right. So um, if it if it's a matter of getting them to where they're going without any other collateral damage or if it's a matter of trying to disperse them as a whole um what i have is tremblay giving the party a couple unique little like one use only magic items or something and now you've got to go from roof to roof because there's no way you're walking on the ground with all these people with their pitchforks and torches and and anger there's no way you as someone who's trying to reinforce themselves as an authority in this town you you're gonna have to go from roof to roof and cut off pathways. This is this is gonna be kind of like um, Bomberman, funny enough. It but without the bombs. That <laughs> this this is like trying to establish paths and redirect wh- uh, by closing off alleys with with blocks that like foam up so people can't make their way down alleys or or um, organizing groups of people to move stuff out of the way. Or, or using magic items to use stuff out of the way. It's giving you a different perspective on the town and giving your party the ability to modify that with these interesting little one-use magic items that I would build beforehand um, that Tremblay would give them because of his crazy random magic item shop that he has, right? Even a, wand of, now a st- sorry, even a wand of levitate to move carts and carriages to block alleyways and stuff would be useful exactly right like uh, uh, a wand of reduce object or uh, or enlarge object right yeah things like that to 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 block paths uh so so that 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 would be the encounter i have and it really reinforces the idea that there is going to be a certain level of number where it becomes impossible for your party to attack it head on with blade and spell you need to use other more creative items to redirect this crowd. And the end goal here is to get this crowd where they want to be with as little damage to the town as possible. All right, so for my last one, uh, I've got a combat to roleplay. So you've gotten back to the shop after um, trying to block these alleys, I guess. Um, or chasing a looter or whatever it is, you come back and you find that this place is still under siege. There are still people looting, but now we have the opportunistic people that are coming back around. Um, These are not the people in the religious fervor. These are people going, hey, you know what? There are magic items in that store. And and they're coming down, and all of the shopkeepers have come out, and they're looking around now at the broken glass and, and... the um the bodies on the street and everyone there's a bunch of people that are panicking and then this mob of looters shows up the second wave it's not as big but these guys are straight thug right these guys are street level here come the criminals yeah and so what you have to do is not just 
fight the criminals back, and there's too many of them. You don't just fight them back. It's very clear, and you make this clear as a DM, you say that on every round, you guys get to to speak for six seconds to convince the other shopkeepers to join in. Yeah. And there'll be a check involved, whether it's intimidation, persuasion, deception. It doesn't matter what it is, right? But you have to get them, the other shopkeepers around involved. So that's, while it's, it's combat on one hand, it's also role-playing. And I would just sit down with all of the different NPCs, and I would say, um, I need to have a combined... Um, role of whether it doesn't matter if it's intimidation persuasion deception whatever it is i need a combined role of uh maximum of uh or up to or above 13 the blacksmith joins up to 18 then the uh the herbalist joins i don't think we've mentioned this before um as as a uh not necessarily a skill challenge mechanic but just as a general like check mechanic is kind of setting a number of 20, 30, or something along those lines. And your party has to roll a combined check to surpass that number. Yeah, right? and but in this scenario, I look, I love that for, for all sorts of group challenges, and that's that's probably a good topic for a future episode. I'll write that down. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but for, for this one, uh, specifically, on each party member's turn, they get the opportunity to say, come on, we got to defend ourselves, right? And everybody, so they're all yelling as they're fighting. And everybody else, uh, all of the NPCs, and there'll be some that are, you know, cowardly. You need to get up to 80, right? But every time it's someone's turn, they can add to the number. And this combat does not end until a certain number of NPCs join. If those NPCs join but not enough of them are joining fast enough and they start to get killed, then maybe you lose and you have to retreat back into your shop. But I would really lay this out as almost this crazy behind the scenes mini game beyond just how many looters can I knock down with my sword or my fireball. There's also this, I need to band everyone else together. And this right here is the built-in mechanic to get your players to become community leaders and we're heading towards the idea that they will be folk heroes. Yeah, no, I, I'm 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 completely on board with this, um, and it it's also kind of setting up the, the the environment and the tone of the session that things are going to start calming down a little bit as well, because now the town and those 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 people in the town who've got some say, got some authority, are now backing up your party, or not, or opposing your party. But either way, you're 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 now really establishing yourselves as an authority. Yeah, we're we're getting to the point where the new status quo is becoming apparent. Yeah. Finally, my last encounter here is um, I, I I like to call it a bit of an eye of the eye eye of the storm kind of encounter. Um, this is going to be a role play heavy encounter. It's role playing to role playing again. This is not going to be one where sword and sorceries is going to be uh, implemented in a at least a offensive way. Um, this is when uh, the riots have finally been stymied from your efforts of redirecting and and calming down the leadership, uh, getting the shop owners to kind of lock up so that the looters don't have anything to loot anymore. Stuff like that has already happened. It, it's uh, it's bleeding down, and um, you have this role play to role play encounter where the leadership um, of the um, riots the captured looters 
Um, those those people who have been arrested uh, for for causing the civil unrest in some way, shape, or form are now being handed into the town guard and interrogated by your party and the town guard. Um, this also gives you a bit of an opportunity to bring in some of those reps from Lachlan's lot that you managed to capture earlier on in the session, if you did, to be uh, shamed by the shops and the town's guard for the roles in the for their role in the riots. Um, you mentioned earlier, like these guys standing on soapboxes using thaumaturgy to kind of incite more chaos. This is the people that you're bringing in, and and you're you're bringing this level of. Um, negative attention to Lachlan's lot so that eventually it's looking like your party's going to come out a bit ahead on top of Lachlan's lot. Whereas in the past, Lachlan's lot has had that one up on you. Now you're giving that one up to the party. Right. But so who are you talking to? Is it town guards? Like who are you role playing with? You're talking with the uh, captain of the guard to get information um, in order to lay down charges. Uh, and then you are interrogating to kind of find who the big wigs were. Uh, so you're you're moving from person to person of these from lesser level instigators to full on inciters uh, of, of the riots to be able to determine who's at fault and who's most at fault for for really... Uh, building this fervor up within the town. And a lot of that's going to point towards Lachlan's lot in the end. You and the party are going to be able to generate a lot of evidence against Lachlan's lot in this, in this, um, in this encounter. But the thing is, I did call it the eye of the storm because things are about to get so much more worse. So you are going to be generating a lot of evidence that your party is going to have to retain and hold on to because you know what's going to be coming down the pipe. Yeah, the other thing which is which I really like about this is we are setting up the idea that there are scenarios and circumstances that are currently um, overwhelming the authorities, and so they're going to turn to the to the people, the citizens that kept the peace as best they could, and say, "Hey, you know what? For the for the next twenty four hours, you're deputized. I need you to to watch these guys. These are the bad guys, right?" And you say, "Yep." Yeah. Like, okay, good. Watch them, find out what's going on. I will be back in a few hours, but I'm needed over at blank, right? Yeah. Um, and and tell tell your party, you are in charge of this area here. And what we're going to do is we're going to include the temple in the area that they're in charge of. The temple is going to be relatively close. That's going to be important for the next session. So you see we're looking ahead, right? But the idea is that there's no reason for the authorities to trust your ragtag band of adventures that have known each other for 48 to, to 72 hours. Right. There's no reason except for what you've accomplished in this session. Right. Yeah. So you need to, to really have the, the players be heroes, step up and become trusted. And so that's what I really like about this one. The, the idea that your role play to role play here starts off with you in a very positive light getting um, a lot of trust from the authority figures and then turning it around to a very negative light. And uh, once the authority is gone, they will turn to Lachlan's lot and put a dagger against your throat and be like, what the fuck did you do? Right. <laughs> and so, so it's a lot of fun to have them be the instigator of the interruption on this. Right. Yep. And I also like the idea of you having, uh, having some captives that you need to hold on to. And in theory, 
you should have uh, at some point taken a lot of damage to the store. The street is just full of chaos. There, are, There's blood in the gutters. There's fires burning everywhere. And you've got, maybe it's only like three people that you're holding on to. But you have, you have a mob of people who see these people as inciters who ro- ruin their town. So you're also kind of dealing with the crowd as well. I would say that this is almost a public display. Well, yeah, I would, uh, I, I like that, but I would say that it's too hard to role play with a mob of people, right? You're going to need three, two, yeah, three enough. or four focal points, right, to deal with. And remember that the idea with a mob is that everybody is sheep except for the shepherd, right? And so if you get rid of the shepherd, the sheep will wander. Um, and so that's that's what I think that you should focus on as far as this um, this role play encounter. Right, is you have one or two captains of the town guard that are talking to you, not the entire town guard, not a, a SWAT team, right? You've got one or two, and then they leave, and then you have two to three of these negative people that you're interrogating. Why did you do this? What are you doing? And you may find that they're not going to say anything in front of the mob, but they'll try to cut a deal. I'll talk to you behind closed doors. Yeah. And, uh, and one of those people that you could be interrogating might just be a crazy religious lost their mind because the gods went missing person who is still just spouting the end is nigh and wearing a freaking sandwich board. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And that that's the person that you end up having to talk to. You're not going to talk reason into that person, but you can definitely see how they will be fear mongering. Yeah. But Lachlan's lot has set you guys up for failure a couple of times now. And this is your, oppor- your chance to get back at them. Yeah, this is your opportunity to lawfully get back at them. All right, so what we've covered in this episode is a uh, sense of civil unrest and kind of upsetting, at least in some way, the status quo that we've spent a little bit of time establishing in the previous few sessions. We have given our party some minor victories, as well as... Uh, a little bit of a make work project in a, in a town that maybe is in shambles because of the riots that are going on. Leadership has been upturned and people are confused and scared and angry. And we've given the party an opportunity to build themselves up as a stable source of authority in the town. This is, this is building them up to being heroes in the future. We've done this with um, several encounters involving the town in its people as well as in its buildings itself. But we have to build the party up more to attain that hero status. So as we move into future sessions, we're going to really see how this groundwork that we've laid helps the party establish themselves as heroes. Yes, and in order for them to become heroes, bigger heroes need bigger threats. As you said, Dan, this is the eye of the storm. This is part one of this this civil unrest riot that we're dealing with here. We've established now that the city is in chaos, but the big thing that we want to hit home is that Lachlan's Lot is out to get them, and the authorities are not available to help. You guys are on your own, and the city needs you. Okay, so we've established that the world is in turmoil, but the one place that might need the most help is obviously going to be the temple in this time when the gods have disappeared. So let's take a week and think about what might be happening on that sacred ground. This will give us the chance to reflect upon piety in the face of destruction. Tune in next week when we discuss how to inject horror into your low-level sessions. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. You can find us at www.itsamimic.com and on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. We're also available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more, and would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we'll be back with more prep work next week. The gods have disappeared. Half the stars have fallen out of the sky. This city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. And, uh... Chaos has started to run inside the city. Still not clear on chaos. Oh, oh, it, 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 it uh, simply uh, deals with uh, predictability and complex systems. Okay, bye.